I did not love most parts of the first time around. I love my son, but you know, there's it basically took until he was three before the scales tipped to, oh yeah, that was worth it. Do you know what I mean? Like on, on the whole, there were days where it felt like it was worth it. There were weeks even, there were uh, you know, totally magical moments, but on the whole, I was, <laughs> I was in the red <laughs> until he was three. And then I was like, oh yeah, okay. That was Lauren Fleshman, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 103. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. This is a special edition episode of the podcast, which I'm releasing between seasons 12 and 13. I'll have season 13 for you on December 22nd, but in the meantime, I've brought the wonderful Lauren Fleshman back to the podcast for you in this fun little special edition episode. I'll tell you more about Lauren in a sec, but in the meantime, in case you're new to Real Talk Radio, let me first share what we do here. So on this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's trying to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. No one's preying on your insecurities by pitching you a 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything. I'm so over that kind of thing, and my guess is that you are too. Life is complicated, and it's messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips and people telling us why we aren't good enough. So here at Real Talk Radio, we do things differently. I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With that mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. This show is 100% listener-funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. So if you're already supporting the show, thank you so much. Huge shout out to you. You're the best, and I'm so ridiculously grateful that you're helping me to bring more real talk into the world. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. But first, let's talk about beliefs. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you are saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. As a thank you, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our virtual book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series where I share details of my real life in real time, and you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for new Real Talk Live events, which is the small, fun, in-person event series that kicked off in London and Portland over the past few months. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Okay, so now let's dive right into today's episode. 
Today, you'll get to meet Lauren Fleshman. Lauren is considered one of the greatest middle distance runners in U.S. history, with five NCAA titles, 15 All-American honors, and a spot in the Hall of Fame. Her professional racing career has brought two USA championships and five world championship berths for Team USA. Lauren is also the co-author of the popular Believe Training Journal series, a workout log that's part personal diary, part workbook, and will help keep you honest and motivated for running while improving your mind and spirit alongside your body. Her writing can also be found at Runner's World, Strava, AskLaurenFleshman.com, and Wazelle. She coaches the elite women runners of Little Wing. She's the co-founder and product developer of Picky Bars, the partner of pro triathlete Jesse Thomas, and a mother of one with a second child on the way. In this episode, Lauren gets real about pregnancy, how she's feeling, what's been happening with her body, and why there's so much hesitation to be completely open about what pregnancy is really like. We also talk about parenthood, what being a good parent means to her, how she and Jesse reached the decision to have a second child, and what it's been like for them to make family and personal decisions on such a public stage given both of their careers and presence on social media. Lauren is not only intelligent, empathetic, and thoughtful, but she's also such a refreshingly straight shooter, and this conversation is no exception. I adore Lauren, and it's such a treat to have her back on the show. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at nicoleantoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. You're one of the only people that I get to record with in person, so <laughs> this is fun. This is so weird. We're going to be looking at each other. I know, right? I'm not on Skype. We recorded in person the first time we Actually, were on the we show. Did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Not in your house, though. This is very nice. I know. I like your recording little, studio. My little home office. Yes, thank I also you. really like the third chair. Like, I'm trying to imagine the interview where there's the third person in the third chair. Uh, yeah, that is my reading chair. Oh. I read in my bright pink chair. It's very um, cool. So... Obviously, I've been wanting to have you back on the show for a while because I think you're amazing and want to talk about all the things. However, last night when we were sitting around a bonfire and you were telling really awesome, good, detailed pregnancy stories and lots of stuff that I feel like people don't talk about, that was me begging you like, oh my God, can we have this conversation for the podcast? Please come tell, talk all about pregnancy. And so here we are. Here we are. Yeah, it's funny because I am just kind of a straight shooter in general, most of the time, you know, the whole keeping it real business. But um, when it comes to pregnancy related and kid related stuff, for some reason, those topics kind of floor people the most, like they seem like they're least expecting that level of honesty, which is surprising to me, because I'm kind of like, well, why not? Like, what, what, what's, what's to gain by pretending that this is something different? I mean, there is a huge range of experiences, obviously, in motherhood and and pregnancy, but still, it's just, it's always strange to me what I'm met with. Like, and I have a lot of, a lot of friends who don't have kids. So I think maybe that's part of it is just, maybe it really is that crazy (laughs) pregnancy and having a kid. I don't know, but I thought it would be fun to talk to because, um, it's a lot different than I thought it was before I had kids and before I got pregnant. And I kind of feel like marriage and childbearing are the two subjects where it almost feels like we're culturally invested in making them seem better than they are. 
Yes. Okay. Listen, I think, first of all, I think you're totally right. And it's like the exact mission of this entire podcast. So I'm very (laughs) excited about this. But yeah, I think that there's, I mean, obviously I don't have kids. So like, I guess two disclaimers, like you said, lots of people have different experience. So of course you're not trying to speak about pregnancy, capital P pregnancy in general, like you're going to talk about your experience. And then other disclaimer, since obviously I don't have kids and I'm not planning to have kids, like feel free to talk to me about this pregnancy stuff. Like I'm stupid because I don't know anything (laughs) other than that I can see there's a baby in there and I know how it got there and that's it. So feel free to tell me all the details and assume I know nothing. Okay. I'll assume. But yeah, I think it, it is strange. I agree with you about marriage too, that it's one of these things that like, it's almost like too big and sacred to be honest about, or like we're just told it's this, I don't know, like perfect, amazing thing. And then like, there's no going behind the curtain ever. Like we're not supposed to like shatter the myth. I think, I don't know. I think pregnancy, like from, I think about what I've heard you know, it's the whole, you know, being pregnant is the best thing you can do with your life. And it's the best part of your life. And it feels so amazing. And again, maybe for some people, that's true. But like, to me, that seems a little like, really? Really? (laughs) Especially if you've done one of those two things, like marriage or have a kid already, you kind of go, okay, wait, marriage wasn't exactly (laughs) like that. I remember the first time that my husband and I sort of had like a pretty big low. I felt lied to, like, not by him, but by the world about marriage. And but then when I looked back and thought about it, I thought about all those people that said like, oh, marriage is hard. It's going to be really hard, but it's the best thing you could ever do. And so they're telling you these two completely conflicting things at the same time. You're like, okay, you seem really invested in wanting me to get married and join the married club. But then on this other hand, you're telling me how hard it is. <laughs> and you're kind of scaring me, <laughs> which is what I'm about to do probably yeah. on hey, this podcast. <laughs> that's fine. I'm here for it. But no, I definitely am not the person that tells people like, oh, have kids, definitely have kids because I I think maybe I would have been that person if I had kids younger, but I have a very strong grip on reality of how it does affect your career or can affect your career. And I have a lot of women in my life who don't have kids, don't plan on having kids. They're past that point and they're really happy. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can totally see life without children and it can look like this. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not invested in spreading the, <laughs> the pregnancy, you know, thing far and wide, but. Yeah. I mean, I, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is being able to be secure in my own choices without needing to convince anyone else to make Mm -hmm. the same choice or that their different choice is wrong, Yeah, which was like a huge growth thing. Like when you're really excited about something or something's been really great for you, whether it's like a small habit change or, you know, a huge thing like having kids, you think, well, this is so great for me. It'll be so great for everyone. Let me, you know, get up on my soapbox and, you know, talk all about it. And it's the kid thing has been a really good learning situation because people, have a lot of opinions when they find out you don't want kids. Yeah, you know? they definitely do. It's, you know, and to be honest, most of the people in my life are really supportive. So I think that I'm lucky in that regard, but there definitely are the either, oh, you'll change your mind, sweetie, mm-hmm. you know, which I might, you know, just like you could change your mind on anything, but if I do, okay, then I change my mind. You know, there's that reaction. And then there's the reaction of, you know, almost like pity, like people that yeah. feel bad for me that I'm missing out on, which again, I guess that's a reflection of their experience, but why can't we just let someone who wants to have kids have kids? And that's awesome. Someone who doesn't not have kids that, you know, it's, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so tell me about the day or the conversation where you and Jesse decided to have a second child. So I blame my first child. <laughs> you hear <laughs> <Because> that, Jude? <laughs> Love you. Um, now I, 
I did not love most parts of the first time around. I love my son, but you know, there's it basically took until he was three before the scales tipped to, oh yeah, that was worth it. Do you know what I mean? Like on on the whole, there were days where it felt like it was worth it. There were weeks, even there were uh, you know, totally magical moments. But on the whole, I was <laughs> I was in the red <laughs> until he was three, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay. And so if, I definitely played with having one and, and being done, um, and just getting older and having other things that I really wanted to do. I started to really enjoy my independence. I started to feel creative again. I was sleeping a lot. Like I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. Um, but then he kept talking about wanting a sibling and he has a buddy, Rad, who had a younger sister, Goldie. And ever since Goldie was born, Jude was just so sweet with her, like so loving and kind. And, um, it was funny because I was able to see it through his eyes for the first time. I never imagined seeing your decisions to have a child or not have a child through your kid's eyes. Um, but it felt the same in my heart to watch that as it did to watch Jesse become a dad. And I was like, I love this man. I love this man. I love have loved this man before we had children. And seeing him get to access this whole other part of himself around his own child, I was like, wow, like that's really enriching for me. That's probably one of my favorite parts of parenting is just how it's changed the man that I love. And so I was like, seeing that with my son, I was seeing him changed by another life. And I'm like, this is so cool. And then he was just blatantly asking. He's like, I want a baby sister. (laughs) You're like, well, (laughs) we'll do what we can. (laughs) I had, yeah. And then it, I don't know, I think seeing that I had told myself a story that he would be better off as a single, you know, and I'm sure Why? maybe that's still true. I don't know. I think, I mean, I have a complicated relationship with my sister. I wouldn't say that I'm like better, I would be better off as a single, but I have a complex enough relationship to appreciate that. And I have, you know, plenty of friends with a similar situation. It's not a, just because you have a sibling doesn't guarantee you're going to have a best friend all the time or that you have everything in common or, you know what I mean? Us versus the world kind of a situation. And we're still young and we have a lot of life ahead of us and our relationship can change, but you know, you, you definitely, you definitely, anytime you add another kid to the mix, like just not being naive about it, it's going to change your life and you don't know how, and you can't, you shouldn't assume it's going to change it perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't, you shouldn't assume that your firstborn is going to be stoked about it. <laughs> you shouldn't, you know what I mean? Um, so anyway, but he really just kept asking and really seemed invested in it. And it got me thinking. And then, I don't know. And then once you start thinking about it, I heard someone say once that a maybe is basically a yes. Like once you started saying maybe have a kid, you kind of do. So yeah, that ended up being true in my case. <laughs> Were there any particular fears or concerns that you guys discussed going into this when you were like, okay, this is happening? Um, I mean, hmm. I actually was less afraid the second time once we had decided, I think that I had, I I was a lot more naive the first time around, a lot more scared of things like uh, with, with my firstborn, I was really scared of birth defects. I was really scared of, I don't know, what if he's just different in some way? Like Jesse and I had pretty privileged backgrounds and we're both really smart and athletic and really haven't had anything kind of challenge us like uh in you know from 
the goals that we wanted to achieve. And so we were just think I had a lot of fears of what if there's something that holds my child back that is really challenging and hard for him or her. But then <clears throat> I don't know, the second time around, I, I just felt like bring it on, whatever it is, it is, whatever problem it is, we'll solve it. I just, I had this because I'd had one child and I knew the amount of love you feel for your child. I knew that no matter what, I would love the child. I think that might've been a fear the first time around is what if I don't love this child for some reason, you know, whatever that is. It's yeah, too- that's real. Yeah. Also, I mean, the first time doing anything, I feel like our control freakness comes up. Like we have the illusion that if we do everything right, or if we read enough things, or if we can, you know, so then you mm-hmm. go through something and you're like, oh, not that being prepared is a bad idea, but yeah. clearly you learned how much you can't control that like the 100%. second time around, like, am I even going to stress myself out with all that? Because it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> totally. And that there might be things that are outside of my limited vision of what I think would be cool. Like these other things outside of that might happen that might actually be cooler. That's what having my first kid taught me. I was like, oh my gosh, he's different from us in some important ways. I couldn't, I couldn't have, if I could have controlled his upbringing enough to make him into a certain mold of a person, I wouldn't have experienced who he really is. And mm-hmm. So that, that, that there's like this element of excitement and surprise with parenting in that way. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We're going to do it again. It can be anything. <laughs> oh, I love the big question mark hanging over your life right now. Um, you got pregnant faster than you expected. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yep. We talked about it and then talking about it got us excited um, <laughs> or just, I'd say, got us in the mood. And then that being in the mood led to a child. So it just... <laughs> One and done. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we basically talked about how the best possible timing would be to try the following month because my husband has a world championships and Ironman coming up um, two days before our due date. So we were like, well, clearly this month would be a bad idea, but next month would be a great idea. And then we proceed to have sex and get pregnant. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know. I have this like very vivid memory of sitting in Palette, our, my favorite local coffee shop here. I think I was working or doing something. And I remember you came in and you, you know, ordered your drink and you sat down and you were like, I'm seven weeks pregnant and the due date is the same date that Jesse's racing Kona. <laughs> I was like, well, that sounds about right. It sounds like, of course, that's what would happen to the two of you. We really like to do everything at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Wait. So actually let's dig into that a little bit because like, that's a funny story. Like that's a good anecdote, but talk about like the serious, like work-life balance discussion. Like what actually happened when you realized that the kid was due the same time? Like, was there a conversation of he's not going to race or you're going to, like, what was that? It was awkward. Definitely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) hello, I'm growing a person. Please be there for it. (laughs) Yeah. And when you are, <clears throat> the partner of somebody in a like let's let's call it an unforgiving profession. There's lots of them out there, but they have the least flexibility. They kind of the career demands the most accommodation from the partner. Um, <clears throat> pro athletics has, has got to be up there with one of the top careers demanding accommodation in another partner. And so, <clears throat> I think at first it was really difficult for me to even bring up, um, hey, what about missing the world championships like could we let's at least talk about that um because if we hadn't talked about it it would have just stewed but then the part of me that was a professional athlete for 12 years and understands the tunnel vision involved with that but and the rewards of the tunnel vision like the rewards of intense focus are incredible you know and 
yes, having a baby is once in a lifetime, but being at the top of your game as a professional athlete at the world championships is once in a lifetime. And so it's, there are definitely going to be lots of people with lots of opinions. And that's what we spent most of our first conversation about, which was like, people will have strong feelings about this who know us. They'll be like, oh my God, you're a jerk that you're even considering doing worlds. And then there would be, you know, people who would feel like he was being emasculated if he didn't even consider going to worlds. And so we just basically had a conversation about, um, this has to be our decision has to be make sense for us. It might not be the decision our friends would make, but let's just have a plan. Let's talk about all the options. And so that was, um, once we kind of got there, then anything was on the table and we could talk through every scenario and then it was fine, you know? And what we ended up deciding was like, if I'm healthy, if there's no complications leading into, you know, the last couple weeks and I'm not at risk pregnancy. And if you're healthy and if you're on top of the world and really feeling like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to go race worlds, like let's have you race worlds. You know, like I, I recognize the fleeting window of being at the top of your game as an elite athlete. So it was easier. It might've been easier for me than it would have been if he was married to someone who didn't have direct experience with it. But I felt the loss. I felt that he was going to lose no matter what. He was going to miss something. I'm not going to miss anything. I'm going to be there for the birth. You know what I mean? But he's going to miss something. He's either going to miss worlds or he's going to miss, or he might miss the birth of his child. So, um, so I wouldn't even say we have a hundred percent a plan yet, but we, we do know that Jesse's doing the world championships. Um, we have a date scheduled for an induction right before he leaves, which would be one week early, which would be totally, you know, no big deal, hypothetically. Um, and so we have a scenario where he could be there for the birth and then go to the world championships the next day and then come back, you know, whatever it is, six days later or something like that and be home. So that's kind of our working plan right now. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love what you said about the first conversation that a lot of the first conversation had to do with what are other people going to think. Obviously, this is like a different scenario than having a baby, but the like point of that that I can relate to, Paul and I have had some conversations around my desire to do long distance hiking. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how many, when there's a thing that maybe one partner wants and it's just their thing and the other one doesn't want, like there's always some kind of balance of guilt and resentment, like yeah. on, guilt on one side, resentment potential, and potentially, not necessarily mm-hmm. that it's there. And then, or fearing that the other person's resentful or fearing that the other person yeah. feels guilty. There's like something there that of course you communicate your way through. And we realized through a series of very kind of like tough, but productive conversations that a lot of my concerns like he actually doesn't feel resentful. Like with this, we found a way that this works for us. Yeah. And like that I, I'm afraid that other people are going to think that I'm a bad wife and Mm -hmm. a bad partner. You know, what kind of, what kind of partner leaves for, you know, two months, four months, whatever, every year or something like that. And it took us having the conversation of we've found a way that this works and feels good for us. Fuck what everybody else thinks. But (laughs) easier said than done, but it is really interesting how sometimes on like almost a subconscious level, like a lot of what we think or fear in our own relationship has to do with how that relationship is going to be perceived by other people. When at the end of the day, it does not matter what anybody thinks no. about our, you know, that like but we spend yeah. so much time before we even get in the relationship being kind of, uh, inoculated with what other people think of other people's relationships or what, 
you know, postulating about relationships. So we're, we spend way more time doing that than we do in the actual relationship until we've been married a long time. Right. So it is, it's hard. It's, it's, um, finding your own way, you know, but like you said, that's the most rewarding. It's the most rewarding part of, uh, those conversations is that you're getting closer and closer to who you really are as individuals and as a couple. And, um, the only way to do that is by continuing to grow as individuals and continuing to ask for what you need and continuing to ask how that's going to affect the other person. Mm-hmm. I find that sometimes it's hard to to react, like in thinking about Paul's position, to react in the way that is genuine to you versus how you think you're you're supposed to react. 100%. And honestly, that was the basis of my fear because we have had these conversations. We had them before my hike last year. Like we've had them a lot mm-hmm. and he's always you know, says all the right things, right? It's like super supportive. Like, of course you don't have to ask my permission. Like I feel like all the things that, you know, that's awesome that he says that. And then my fear is either he's not being honest with himself or he feels that he can't be honest with me. And this isn't a reflection of his character. This is just like my fears are exactly what you said that like, is he just saying the right things? And then this is going to be like a tiny seed of resentment that grows over time that like six months from now, he's like, you know, furious with me or something. And that was, (laughs) and that was like having to talk through that, like to be the person on maybe the other side and to have to be honest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, Back to the uh, pregnancy side of this, it just has me thinking about like cultural expectations, just like cultural expectations for relationships. But I think there's another factor involved with pregnancy and expectations of how you should talk about it and how honest you should be. That is the very real economic, um, economic consequences of pregnancy, like women having children versus men having children is a humongous part of why women make, you know, 78 cents on the dollar of, of men. And the, and there are all of these, sexist beliefs and behaviors that occur that are related to that. Like women don't care if a woman's going to have a baby. She doesn't care about her career. If a woman um, is pregnant, she won't be as hard of a worker. Um, Once she has the kid, she's not going to want to come back. You know what I mean? There's all these things. The part of it that's super fucked up is that there is some truth to those beliefs for a lot of women. I'll put myself right in there. Like, I didn't want any of those things to be true, but this pregnancy compared to my first, my first one, I could work through the whole pregnancy. I ran until 32 weeks. I was writing. I felt creative. You know, I didn't feel like a hundred percent myself, but I could have, if I had been employed by somebody else, I could have held down my job, like no problem. Um, this pregnancy, if I had to work for somebody else, I would have been fired. <laughs> like, Just because you haven't felt well? Or? I felt horrible the entire time. Like I have felt so bad. I was nauseous for the first 26 weeks or something like that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been able to exercise at all. So like my natural Prozac is totally gone. Right. So I'd say my happiness scale that used to range from zero to 10, like it maybe caps out at a seven now. So I wouldn't say that I'm, they screen you for depression and stuff at the doctor regularly. Now they're really prioritizing women's health, at least at the clinic that I'm at. But um, and I haven't tested in a concerning, you know, depressed state, but it just, I just feel muted. So, and I feel as a result, I feel less creative. I'm less motivated. I get less done in a day and I'm a 
characteristically driven person that has more ideas than I know what to do with. And I'm like, not the same person. Mm -hmm. So I had this big moment of like, shit, like there are a lot of women out there probably who feel this way, who are in their career employed by somebody else. And there, there are reasons why employers have these feelings about pregnant women. And it's fucked up because you you shouldn't be penalized for something that is natural. The only way to propagate the species is for us to continue having children. Yeah. So like if we care about humanity and whatever, like we have to keep having babies. So we we have to design the workforce in such a way that allows that to happen for the people who want to do that. But then there are the very real realities that like those myths aren't all myths. Like there's truth in them, in some of them for some women. So, but then what that does is it's, if you're a feminist like me and you care about women having equal pay and you care about women not being discriminated against for being pregnant and whatever, but then you also know the truth, which is that this is making me a worse worker. I am bad at my job right now. Like, how do you balance those two things? Because if you're honest about it, like we're talking, we're having an honest conversation about it. I'm essentially adding fuel to the fire for sexist, sexist people who want to punish women for these experiences mm-hmm. and feel justified in doing so. But if you don't talk about them, then the women who are feeling this way, they're, they feel alone or they feel like there's something wrong with them and that they're broken somehow or that, you know what I mean? Um, and especially if you're trying to rectify that with being a feminist and all of the kind of stories you've told yourself about how when I get pregnant, I'll be able to do anything. I get it, you know, I'm going to push through, I'm going to whatever. And you just might find that you can't. And that it's so it's just I have felt very humbled by this pregnancy and also very lucky that I work for myself. And if I am less creative, if I don't play my guitar for seven months, if I, you know, take naps in the middle of the day, which I would completely have to have been fired for the amount of naps that I take. hundred <laughs> percent. So I don't know. I just I've been that's been on my heart a lot and just trying to think about how do we. I don't know, how do we support women to the experiences that are genuine to them while also fighting for equality and and equal pay and improved conditions for women at work? When, when some women, like a lot of pregnant women don't experience any of these things, they feel fine the whole time. Yeah. Like you did the first time yeah. around. Yeah. No, I mean, I love what you're bringing up. I mean, obviously because it's honest, but also because it's messy and nuanced and doesn't have an answer. Cause like the bottom line of any, you know, if we're talking about sexism or any kind of oppressive situation, like it's, there's a systemic, like there's a larger problem. It's not just like a person to person sexist thing. Not that that's great either, but like what you were saying about the workforce needs to change. Like there has to be a change in the system that allows for all these things to be true that women are the ones that are having the babies. Right. You know? And okay. So that's the only way to have babies okay like and some people feel this way you know feel great during pregnancy some people don't like what do we do with that right exactly what you're saying that's like that there's a larger problem here and that yeah that the being honest helps and hurts depending upon what side you're looking at it yeah no, it would mean as an as an employer too at picky bars like i can imagine being an employer and being in the position to say okay I want to honor the range of female experiences that could happen with pregnancy. So, and I want to support pregnant women, but I may have one pregnant woman who like goes narcoleptic from 12 to three every single day. Like I have this pregnancy a lot of the time. And 
is it how do you create a fair system where so and so is allowed to you know pass out for 3 hours a day and not really work their full-time hours while so and so is expected to because they feel good like that doesn't like I, how do you even solve yeah. this problem i don't know <laughs> yeah i just yeah. don't know that you can so instead you just i just feel like probably the solution we have is probably the best one I've heard so far, which is like soldier on (laughs) a very few pregnancies make it impossible to work, but you know, soldier on it's for a limited amount of time, do your best and get through it. Like that's what keeps me going is just knowing that there's a deadline to that. You know, this will end unlike chronic illness or a lot of the other things that affect people in their jobs and families like this actually will get better. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know, I feel like that could give employers patience for a range of experiences. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just bonkers. But, but back to the idea of like, okay, so there's this whole bucket full of things that women can't talk about, or feel like they shouldn't talk about with their pregnancy experiences, because they're afraid it will, well, one, it doesn't match the hero journey that we hear about all the time. And two, if they're like a feminist and concerned about the effects on other women, they don't want to talk about it because of that. So it might be worth talking about some of those things. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about all those things first. So I think it was a couple weeks ago, maybe when you put that video on Twitter mm-hmm. of like your baby, like moving in your, like you could vi- like see it. Honestly, I've never seen that. Like I've never really had any, I'm trying to think like a couple close friends have had babies, but always like long distance friends. Like I've never been present for a friend's pregnancy to actually like see in this video. Like it looked like an alien, some like what you would see in like an alien movie, right? Where it they're did. like it under like the special effects. Yeah. Paul runs down. He's like, did you see this shit that Lauren put on Twitter? <laughs> he was like, what's happening in her body? I was like, well, let's ask her. Let's find out. Um, so yeah, we can talk about literally anything you want. <laughs> now that was kind of, and that was one of those examples that blew me away. And that to me, it wasn't that big of a deal to post a video. I was like, oh my God, this weird thing is happening. I'm going to take a picture of it. It happens a couple times a day. I took a picture. She was squirming around in there. She was basically doing somersaults. And and the, the, my stomach, my belly is big enough. The baby isn't in your stomach, just as a reminder. It's in your uterus. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, skin, the skin and muscles have thinned out enough where you, you, know, you can really see every angle and every bump and movement super clearly right now. I have four weeks to go just for reference for anyone out there. Um, and yeah, and so I was like, this is this is trippy. This is crazy. So I posted it. And, but the number of people who had never seen that, like, yeah, I was like, wow, why? Why have we not seen this? Yeah, never. I had never seen it. It was right? incredible. It was incredibly freaky and incredibly cool. Yeah, and, and it happens all the time. <laughs> it's happening all the time. Well, right but, now. and your con- I, I don't remember exactly verbatim what you said, but it, it was like some comment around like how am I supposed to get anything done when like this is what's happening all day, and like that really stuck with me too. That it, it made me realize like of course we only have our own lived experience. Like we see the world through our own eyes, right? And, yeah. Like all the things that you just said about the ways in which pregnancy can be hard physically. It's not that I didn't think that that was possible, but this was like such a clear specific thing to yeah. look at to be like, huh, what would I do if I'm like recording a podcast and this thing is happening, oh right? That it's like, it really it like for even in just that tiny way, it was helpful to like show me your lived experience mm-hmm. and just to like give me another perspective to think about. 
which made yeah. it sound silly that like See, but, I, I wasn't and, thinking about so it. So it but. had that effect on you, which is good because you were able to put yourself in, in my shoes, right? But then think about the flip side negative of that, which was I basically just admitted that I was unable to work, right? I was like, I can't, I was trying to write an article. This was going on for about 20 minutes straight. So I was just had 20 minutes where I couldn't even work. I was just sitting there going, okay, this feels, because anytime she would brush up against my stomach, I would feel nauseous. Anytime she brushed up down like by my cervix, I would get like an electric shock (laughs) pain. And then just the feeling of things kind of like your organs are rolling around, right? So I'm trying to think creatively. That's not going to happen. So instead, I'm just sitting there. So I was like, well, I actually struggled with hitting post on that because I had that thought of I am sort of selling women out who have this experience that they may not be working while this is happening. Is that weird? No, I mean, I I think it's actually very thoughtful. It's a perspective that I honestly wouldn't have thought of. And I think it's like an incredibly privileged thing to have not thought of it. Like that's a certain marking of Mm -hmm. privilege to be like, oh, well, I work for myself. Like I could make that, you know, but like everything that you just laid out makes complete sense to me. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think obviously maybe this is just my own opinion, but I feel like there's always value in honesty. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, to talk about your experience. And I think there's extra value in putting it in the context that you already have, right? That like, clearly you are thinking about these other things, but I think never, no women, no, you know, woman who has gone through pregnancy ever being honest about these things, like that doesn't really serve. I don't know who that serves overall, because it's not necessarily lessening sexist injustice. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like maybe by a margin, like I, like it, I feel like what you just laid out, we need, what we need is such a huge change. I don't know how that happens, but I don't think it happens without honesty. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Truth is, truth has always helped me when other people tell their truth for sure. So I think, I think it's worth it. And just, you know, hearing the feedback from people, why not help people make more informed decisions about what their range of experience could be like before they decide to do something? At least it, it may influence somebody's timing of when to get pregnant or, um, whether they really want to or whatever. I mean, the, wh- there's no um, area where it bothers me more than in elite athletics where there's this like backlash now to to the complete misconception back in the day that women's uterus uteruses would fall out if they ran over 800 meters. Like that was literally what doctors said that changed the Olympic movements guidelines and made them eliminate all events, you know, over maybe it was even 400 meters. Um, after they had a, they held an 800 meter race in the, I think the late twenties and women looked so exhausted at the finish line. Like the, I think five women broke the world record or something like that in one race. And they were kind of laid out on the track and, and the, uh, Reporters were so appalled seeing women in that position that, yeah, it affected it affected women's opportunities for generations. So there is precedent for if you show what's real and you do, you lay it all out there publicly, if it doesn't match what expectations are for the box women should be in, there, there can be consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and so we have this backlash going on now where it's like all heroic pregnant stories of like, I'm not going to let this affect me at all. And I'm going to be able to train for, you know, a 232 marathon four months after my baby, or whatever it is. And um, the kind of curation on social media of what 
what we show. And, and it's not that I don't believe that there are women genuinely having those experiences, because I do, I know there are some women who are having, who are very unaffected by their pregnancy compared to others and can exercise, you know, throughout the whole thing. But the ones that can't, it almost feels like you can't tell your story um, if you, you know, can't really train through your pregnancy. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I mean, again, not to silence anyone. Anyone can talk about their truth. And like you said, if these mm-hmm. women are having these experiences, they're just as welcome to talk about it as anyone else. The problem comes when that 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 is where the bar is set. Yes. That, that be, you know, in a backlash against, you know, what you were describing before, you know, that it, the story of being weak or, you know, it being bad for women or something like that, to have to go completely to the other end of the extreme of this isn't something that's going to hold me back at all. It's not going to affect me at all. Like, again, yeah. that's great in theory, but that's pretty unrealistic. Yeah. I've honestly, I feel the same thing when it comes to like mental health and mental illness. Like it's, it's fine for me to try to champion a position of like, you know, depression, bipolar disorder, like these things aren't going to hold me back. And like, there's some benefit to that for me to not feel like a victim and to not, you know, like there is something, but also it's a real thing. (laughs) It exists. The the physical symptoms that I have during a depressive episode and like what's going on, like it's not the same as how I feel today in the absence of any symptoms, right? Like right now. So it's like, I don't know. I think there's, it's great to be self-empowered and to like take ownership of your own story and to like want to believe that you're going to do the best that you can given whatever your like current circumstances or limitations might be like, that's great. But also that looks really different for some people than others. So I think, yeah, like anytime it's the same thing with like a beauty ideal, right? Like anytime we're setting a standard, like even if the standard changes, like the idea of there being one standard of course, that's not going to fit everyone no. in any regard. So, like to say this is the standard of like an empowered woman's pregnancy, yeah, like yeah, that's not helping. No, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's super interesting to think about. Just with the the mental health and pregnancy connections too, really resonates with me because you you do you as the elite athlete side of me that was trained in sports psychology, I know very intimately how the power of positive thinking can affect your performance for the better, right? So we do want to kind of put it out there that it is possible, that something is possible to be very positive and affirming and all these things. But yeah, that, that finding that balance, it's really hard. But if you don't put that positive affirming thing in, then, and what I've also learned through athletics is that your physical performance will be limited by your ability to believe what's possible. So if you set that bar lower then there are consequences. You're less likely to rise above that and actually have your authentic experience. You may not be as affected as others, but if you expect to be heavily affected, there's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you will be, you know, you will not necessarily rise above that level. And what we want is for people to just be able to have their own experiences and kind of optimize their life and feel, you know, as empowered as possible. So, yeah, I think that the most helpful people in my life that have counseled me through pregnancy have been the ones that are like, hey, anything is possible. You may find that you can do anything. So be open to that. But know that if that is not your experience, that that is also normal and that is okay. And, and to so, not like self-shame if no, that winds up being It's the not case. your fault. Like it's just – There's nothing wrong with you. No. Right. Yeah, it's it's like you didn't do this to yourself. <laughs> like this is the reality of pregnancy or of mental health issues or whatever it is that you there are there is a range and 
part of that range includes like an extremely high functioning, very unaffected situation, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. but it, and there, but if even putting that on the menu creates a little bit of grief if and ends up not being your experience, which is how I felt the first time around, even like I was able to run, but I couldn't, I couldn't really run farther than six miles or, you know, I had friends that were running 13 miles the day before their delivery. I was in an extreme group, so I saw a lot of extreme things, but um, I definitely had a bigger hole to climb out of as a professional athlete after having my child than some of my peers did. But um, looking back, I look at that, I'm like, oh my God, I was able to do so much (laughs) compared to this time. Yeah. Uh, So talk to me about this time. Like, I don't even know necessarily what my question is. Like, I want to know all the things that are happening to your body, but also just like in general, what do you feel compelled to be open and honest about like with this pregnancy? Um, I think that a lot of, I don't really have a great filter when I'm feeling something. I usually just talk about it with people. So I've I've had a lot of material this pregnancy. (laughs) Uh, Like right now, I can't make a fist because my knuckles hurt so much because I have so much fluid swelling in my knuckles. I'm in, I moved up from a size five and a half ring to a nine. I am, uh, it's at least some jewelry still fits. Uh, I have, I am down to one sleeping position and I still have a month to go. I used to be able to lay on my right side and my left side, but now if I lay on my right side, my hip socket hurts really badly and my right arm falls asleep. So I'm down to literally one side, <laughs> one position. Um, there's the usual things that you hear people joke about of like five or six bathroom trips a night, um, being woken up by tumbling gymnastics in my uterus is sort of weird at four in the morning and two in the morning and uh, various other times right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, baby. Hi. She's like, I think you're talking about me. <laughs> I have this thing with my tongue, which nobody oh God, knows you what showed it me is. that last night. <laughs> <laughs> my tongue doesn't work. Everything tastes spicy. Like I had a salad with arugula, blueberries, and goat cheese last night, and it tasted spicy. I had avocado toast this morning, and it tasted spicy. Anyway, I have something wrong with my tongue where everything tastes spicy. Even just like a LaCroix water is spicy. So the best is when you were like, the doctor's like, I don't know, shrug. Hopefully it goes back to normal afterwards. You're like, I hope so too. I asked both OBs at the clinic that I got to see in the last two months about it. And they were like, wow, yeah, that's weird. I haven't seen that. So I'm hoping somewhere, someone listening to this know somebody who's had that experience and can tell them it's okay. You're not the only one. Cause right now I feel like I'm the only person that has had this experience. So if you have the weird spicy tongue thing, please yep. reach out to Lauren. Yeah. Please reach out in the show notes or whatever, however these things work. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about your experience. Um, yeah. So we're, right now the plan for that is just cross fingers. Hope it goes away, uh, after the baby's born. Um, I don't know the fatigue. I think that, I actually am going to write thank you notes to my closest friends after this pregnancy because I feel like being my friend has been challenging. <laughs> How so? Well, I, you know, you have friends, your friends that you make later in life are usually from shared interests versus the friends you have early in life, which are kind of, you like may- Shared circumstance. Yeah. yeah. And so those friends are going to be, you know, the early in life ones are going to be around no matter what. But the ones that I've made more recently, like we share mountain biking or running or- whatever. Um, 
and my energy levels have been so horrible. I can't, well, and I just haven't been able to exercise at all. So I don't have any of those things we used to do together to do, but there's still been a few friends who have, you know, hung around and made time to do things that they don't necessarily like to do super sedentary activities just to like be there for me, which if pregnancy was longer than nine or 10 months, I don't know, you know, you'd probably just end up separating ways because you'd lose shared interest. But it's one of those things where I'm like very grateful for the people who have kind of met me where I am and, and remained in my support network through this, which is awesome. It's interesting, the parallels as you're talking that I keep finding between like mental health really? and pregnancy. It's the same thing, right? Because like there, of course, it's not the same, but I guess it is a, it's the same in that it's a relatively dramatic departure from like your normal like stasis or your normal, yeah. you know, state of being, whatever normal means to anyone, right? That it's, I mean, and obviously hope, I mean, I guess for some, I know for some people, you know, mood episodes can last nine months, 10 months. That hasn't happened to me, luckily. Um, but yeah, there is a thing of like the the people who are going to be cool just like sitting on the couch with you and like watching an episode yeah. of Friends and like you have no energy and like they don't expect you to perform. And like the people who like, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of my own like the question, like what do you want to be known for, right? When you think of like legacy or like even with the people in your life, like it's, I've been thinking more that, this is a seemingly small thing, but I would love to be known with my close friends as like a person that they can show up like exactly as they are. And like, they don't have to apologize for like not having energy, not being in good mood. Like if you just want to come over and lay on the floor, like that's fine. Like, yeah, I want to be the person that people don't have to perform for. If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And like, I've been thinking about that a lot because I've seen over the last I don't know, like couple of years, the people that have, that's been true for me yeah. that like, I don't have to perform for them. And like, that's an incredible gift. It is. It is the best. It is, And it's, um, you, when you were saying that, I was thinking about how easy it would be for someone to go, okay, I'll see you in nine months when you're back to yourself, right? Whether it's mental yeah. health or pregnancy or whatever. And I would understand. I'd be like, you know, these are our shared interests and I, I get it. You know, whatever, life is busy and you only have so much time for, for friends. So you'd want to do make your friendship hangout time also match the things, spending time doing the things you want to do. Um, but just how awesome it is to, to be like, it's so awesome to have the friend that lets you show up as you are, but it is so awesome to be the friend. And I loved what you said about having that be like your goal because, um, Dr. Melody Moore, who's sports psychologist or sports psychologist, uh, eating disorder, clinical psychologist, she talks about how um, one of the ways she gets people to reframe how they think about their appearance is like, instead of thinking about how you look, instead of spending that time thinking about how you appear to other people, think about how you make them feel. And if we all judged ourselves by how we make other people feel in our presence, like how just think about how much richer and more beautiful our relationships would be. And I'm not direct quoting her. So Melody, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I got that not totally right. But that was my takeaway or one of the big takeaways from my friendship with Melody is that feeling like it's clear being around her that her goal is to be a person that people feel good and can feel themselves around. Um and yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's noticeable. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot in just sort of the way that we 
almost throw around like needless casual apologies like, oh, I'm really tired today. Sorry. Or like, I don't feel good. Sorry. Or like, I'm not much fun tonight. Sorry. Or, you know, or and like feeling like a burden if you're anything other than like sparkly and on and like at your full. And that's, I mean... That's, I mean, and forget pregnancy, forget mental illness, like just being a human, mm-hmm. right? That like without any of those added, you know, potentially limitations, complications, you know, chronic illness, whatever, like not everyone is on all the time. And something else, this is, I think, come up in another episode too, but I've been thinking a lot about the value of being honest about something while it's happening. Like I think culturally we've gotten better, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's depression of like retroactively telling the truth. Yeah. You know, like once you've come through this pregnancy and you have this baby and everything's fine and you're feeling better <laughs> to say, I had a really hard pregnancy Yeah, because like we're comfortable with messiness if it's over now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To- and like 100%. same thing, like I can talk about like, oh, I was depressed, Mm -hmm. but there's a really big difference. Like people are really receptive to that. And I feel like we're not as receptive to I'm, I'm a burden. I feel like a burden right now. Like I'm like isolating or do you know any of like, well, it's actually happening. And both in terms of being someone who can be receptive to that, but also a challenge for me to like show up in the, like be honest in the moment. Like I have a tendency to isolate until it's over. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be a burden or I don't want to have to like, and there's something in that that I think that's is fascinating broken. because I, I wonder what what can be done. Like if we could, if if you are feeling that way, what would you need out of the other person in order to feel like you didn't have to isolate? I mean, I think I think it's conversations like this. Honestly, it's like being it's being open. You know, I have one of my best friends asked me, we had this conversation. She asked me a question of like, essentially exactly that. Like, what can I do for you when you're feeling that way? And almost like having the conversation at a time where I felt fine was helpful because then it sort of made it clear to me that, you know, I said, oh, there's nothing you can really do, but it's like helpful to spend time together. Like if you just want to come over now, I feel like I can text her when that's happening and be like, I'm in the hole. Yeah. Please come sit on the couch and eat cookies with me. Right. Like (laughs) if you've like almost like preset an expectation, like that's helpful, but also it's less about what the other person can do than it is like a challenge to me that the other person can't do anything if I'm not honest first. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if someone doesn't know that you're like feeling crappy and like nauseous and bad with pregnancy, like they don't know to like bring you food or bring you whatever, or do, you know, do something that it's just like a continual back and forth honesty. And like, I've been trying to catch myself like when friends apologize for something that like they don't need to apologize for. Like, it's fine that you're not in a good mood. It's fine that you're tired. Like I'm trying and obviously I'm not perfect at it, but trying to call that out. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I no need to apologize. This same friend yeah. that I'm talking about, like she was here, I don't know, a couple months ago, like staying with me for a night. And like, it was just, she was, there was a lot going on with her and she was like, sorry, I'm not a good friend. I'm not really here right now. I'm not, I'm like, you literally can like go upstairs in the guest room and close the door or like take a bath for two hours. Like, I don't care. Like you're welcome in my home all the time. Like you don't yeah. have to. And it was like having that conversation drove this home for me. Like, oh no, I want that to be the case. Like you can just come over. I'll make you yeah. soup, like lay on the ground. It's fine. You know? <laughs> and I mean, again, I have no answers, but it's something that I'm working on. Yeah. I mean, it's like really being able to look out for one another. I feel like that I've heard conversations around this uh, swirling around this round grief too. Yeah. Because we don't know, we don't really have established norms for what to say when someone we know is grieving that we can feel confident will be received well. And so a lot of times we just avoid um, completely. And then I could see how being the grieving person from when I was, I, I have lost my father uh, two years ago, but if you're grieving and you 
you would almost, I would find myself dreading someone being annoying, like saying the wrong things when, if I invited somebody in. So it was easier to kind of go, I'm just going to isolate basically, because I don't want to have to, I don't want to make it more work for me. Uh, A lot of times you end up finding yourself kind of like counseling others on how to manage your grief. Yeah. Okay. So then flip that question around that you asked me, like whether it's grief or, you know, pregnancy, anything like what helps you like to be honest or like what could another person do Mm -hmm. in that same situation? If you were to go through grief like that again, like we all do and will at various points, like what could the people who love you do better? I think there's something different for each scenario. I think about my friend, Lisa DeLong, who wrote this awesome book called Blood Brothers um, about losing a son to leukemia and then having a younger son get leukemia again. Um, she she did a TED Talk actually on, on grief um, a couple years back. And what she talked about was, ask me about my son, right? Which is like the opposite kind of of what our instinct is. Um, this is also bringing me back to the the very first co- part of this conversation, which was the same thing. Maybe doesn't work for everybody, right? Yeah. So, I don't know if her experience is true. It resonates with me. I like it when people ask me about my dad, but usually, as soon as you say my dad died, or you talk about your father in the past tense, and it leads to the question of, oh, what happened? And then you say they died. Like it's like a very firm period at the end of the sentence. It either the conversation either feels like it needs to change completely or whatever. But in reality, I want the person to say, Oh, well, what happened? You know, but we think we're being nosy. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, we are. Because again, that question could be very well received or very poorly received. And yeah, you never know. And, and in her TED talk, she felt like, No, ask me. Because the only way you keep someone alive is by speaking their name and talking about them. Now, granted, this was several years after he passed. So. Maybe there's something, some element of time as well. But um, for me, certainly, I like it when people ask me, what happened? What was he like? Tell me about him. You know, um, I want him to continue living in those mm-hmm. ways. And so with, with, I don't know, with pregnancy, I guess, the, in order to feel like I can be myself, I just need to – a big part of it is how I show up. So I don't apologize I, if people ask me how I'm doing, I just say. It's honestly one of the things that I love the most about you. Like, cause I never feel like there's a subtext that maybe I'm not picking up on. Like, there's no like passive aggressive. Like, yeah. I'm never like, did Lauren really want to be here? Did she not? Like, if you don't want to be there, you're not going to go. Exactly. Like, I won't but go. honestly, it's incredibly refreshing. <laughs> well, that's Because good. it's like less to like emotionally micromanage on the other person's end. Yeah. Like, there's no mind games. So, how do you establish, how have I established the trust where I can show up? And you ask me how I'm feeling, and I'm like, fucking terrible. Right. Let me <laughs> tell you how nauseous I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where you then know that, like, I still want to be there. How do you know that I still want? I mean, because I do. I, like because you said, you, because you came. I came. Okay. So there's well, like and, a confidence also, on both yeah. sides. So you have to be confident that I wouldn't come if I didn't want to come. Right. And I have to be confident that I can talk about what's legit without making you worried about me or worried that I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. just, everybody wins when we're just all real. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> preach into the choir. I think, I mean, this, this sort of like umbrella topic that we're coming at from a bunch of different like angles and specific scenarios is like how to show up for each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Which obviously I think is one of those things that sounds 
simple. Maybe it is simple, but not easy because there is this, like what you mentioned before, this fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the case, whether we're talking about showing up for someone in grief, whether it's like speaking out about something that we believe in as far as like our activism or politics go, like there's this really big, because we, we want to be liked and we want to be accepted and we want to be validated. And there's a big fear of making mistakes. And I think and I definitely struggle with that too. Um, that in like these sort of interpersonal situations, the thing that I have found helpful on both sides is like to just say what's true. If if what's true is I have no idea how, what to say to you or how to be there for you, but like I love you and I want to be. Yeah. And like obviously you don't want it to be what you said where you then have to counsel them on like your grief. But I do think there's something you know, valuable, a a good friend of mine, you know, had a baby about a month ago. She lives out East. And, you know, one of the conversations we had, like, I'm super excited for her. And like, yes, like, you know, send me all these pictures and do whatever. But like, I don't know anything about babies. I don't like, (laughs) I want to hold your kid. Like, I don't like, I'll be when your kid's like 12 and like, I'll be good, you know, but I don't really know. So it's like helpful to just, it's been helpful for us for me to be like, I have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to babies. I don't know the right thing to say. I don't know the right thing to do. I don't like intuitively know what you need, you know, or that's something that you do well is you you ask questions, which I think we could all do more of. Like maybe the th- maybe the answer is just not being afraid to ask. So if someone was like, "Oh, your dad died." Like, is it okay to ask you about it? Right. Oh my gosh, such a freeing question. And or even just to be like, and to be not afraid of making a mistake. Yeah. If they say no, not really. You're like, oh, well, I'm glad I asked. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Or if um, you do say the wrong thing, like apologize and move on. Yeah. And then like get like, it's, I mean, again, this is like the quintessential easier said than done. Like I'm yeah. working on this so much, like being willing to make mistakes. But And I think if when I find myself being the most honest person in a room, like if let's say that I'm with a group of acquaintances of people that don't necessarily know each other that well, but I tend to be just like the overly honest person a lot of the time. <laughs> Um, sometimes I'll preface what I say with like, this is, you know, I am not seeking sympathy here. And, you know, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I'm just going to be honest. I feel fucking terrible. And I'll just say what, I, you know, whatever. Be like, you may need to reassure people. I'm like, I, I, and I want to be here right now, or I wouldn't be here. But since you asked, <laughs> this is how I'm feeling right now. Versus like, wondering what you should say to make sure you don't offend somebody. And I don't know. It yeah. feels so good to be yourself. Yeah. It just does. Listen, it's yes, worth it's agreed. worth finding like memorizing a couple intro questions or a couple intro paragraphs <laughs> that enable you to be yourself and help other people feel comfortable being themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, pivoting a little bit but still on this pregnancy topic, um I don't even know what my specific question is to ask, but I'm interested in the like intersection of pregnancy and body image, mm-hmm. whether that's like as an athlete or not as an athlete, but like have what anything in that that you want to speak to that was either like surprising for you that like, yeah, or just I like I imagine, I mean, obviously not just women, but like as women, there's so much body image stuff in general. And yeah. then all of a sudden, like your body's going through all, like you said, you know, your ring size change, you're, you know, this I've heard friends talk about, you know, you like pee yourself do all like what like as your body's change like it's such a I don't know I'm just curious about that whole thing it's oh, a huge topic obviously well but- it, it's it's an important topic because it really does rock your world or it can rock your world I am so much more laid back with it this time I mean the first time every five pounds on the scale I was like oh my god it's like that you know the, the feeling of wanting to control everything and pregnancy being such a humongous wake-up call to how you can't control basically any of it. Um, it's happening to you all the time. 
uh, and well, but meanwhile, you are the person growing the child, but like it's going to happen whether you're thinking about it, whether you're happy about it, whether you're not happy about it. It's the most effective parasite that there is. Um, but this time I feel like these changes are happening in my body, but I don't feel, um, I don't feel any kind of emotion around them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I've gained more weight. I don't, when I go to the doctor and get on the scale, I don't, I expect that I'm going to have some kind of a negative feeling, but I don't. And I think that's probably just because since I've done it before and I know that there is the other side of it and you will, you know, get back um, to whatever you want to be, if you want to do that. Uh, I just don't have anxiety around it. It's like, oh, this is just happening. It's unfortunate in that it's uncomfortable, <laughs> but it's not scary. Um, but I, what has surprised me is I am really grossed out by the way pregnant, like pregnancy looks just like a, a woman with like a large belly to me does not look beautiful. So sorry to everyone out there who, <laughs> who, uh, I, I don't mean that as an insult, but like I don't post pictures of myself pregnant really on Instagram because I'm kind of grossed out by it. It, for some reason it weirds me out and it's not like in a, I don't. It's not like a shame thing. It's hard to explain. It's just not worthy. And it doesn't even of, sound like it's like a. It's not like a weight gain shame no. thing. No, it's not anything like that. It's just not appealing. It would be like posting pictures of like my moles on the internet. <laughs> like I could do it, but it's not. I don't. To me, I don't see this beautiful. I, I'm not associating it with like beauty and. Which is, I mean, this is very honest because like this is, I think, very different from A, how a lot of people feel or how a lot of people think they should feel. Like Mm -hmm. there's this, when we talk about sort of, you know, what you mentioned at the beginning of, you know, the myths that we're not supposed to touch around this, that it is this like the most beautiful thing or the most, and like, I know some people definitely feel that way. Like both when it happens to them and like experiencing looking at other people like that. So like even just like, I'm sure I can like feel people's backs go up, right? Like to, as you're saying it, that's the value of honesty of like, you don't feel that way. So like what happens then when you're having an experience that you're told should look and feel a certain way and like body image and pregnancy stuff, that's a huge no, no to talk about because like you're supposed to love what's happening to your body and like totally so what happens when what like, happens when that's it not true happen and when you're like this is gross and weird yeah. and it's crazy when you're pregnant because you have this very visible signal out to the world that you're pregnant right everybody knows once you get to a certain point so i see the full range of how people out there feel about it i have people that come up and i can tell they really believe that I look so beautiful, that my pregnant belly is beautiful. And like, I, you know, and they come up and they're like, oh, you look so great. And I I can tell they're telling the truth. Like they feel that way. They would love to see the pregnant photo on Instagram. Right. And then I also see people that come up to me and they look really uncomfortable. They see this bulge coming out of my body. um, And I think inside, like you're feeling how I'm feeling. I'm just the one carrying this baby. Um, And they're all okay feelings. I, I, I do wish that I felt more beautiful pregnant. Um, And I don't think it's due to some societal brainwashing that I feel gross. Like, I think I just feel gross. I don't know. I I don't think it's coming from elsewhere. Maybe it is, but I I really don't think so. Um, I think it's just part of the natural range of experiences. Like, I don't like 
seeing the physical evidence of the thing that ma- is making me feel so terrible all the time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm associating with how I feel inside. Maybe if I felt incredible every day, empowered. I have this friend, um, Leah, who was the most confident in her entire life when she was pregnant with her first child. She Pregnancy changed, fundamentally changed her relationship with her body, her body image, her confidence, her ability to feel like she could do anything. I mean, she's like... And, I believe every single word she says, like she's legit when she talks about it. And I just look at her and I'm like, wow, like I'm so glad this does that for people, for that there are people out there having that experience. And it would be great <laughs> if that was my experience, but that's okay. Again, yeah. there's a timeline on it. Right, so right. all of these feelings are easier to handle because like, well, it'll be over in X number of months and then we move on, which maybe makes it less motivating as a society to try to re- truly try to solve any problem in the workforce or any sort of thing, because it is, it is short-lived and it is over. I mean, the financial consequences last beyond that societally, but yeah. Do you feel like there's anything, I mean, obviously I'm sure you learned a ton of things, you know, with your firstborn, but was there anything that you learned that's influenced either that you're doing things differently this time around or whether that's like pregnancy or thinking about like the first couple months or even year of, you know, the new baby's life? Like, is there anything that you're like, all right, we learned that like, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I would say maybe, I I think I have a lot more grace with myself with this pregnancy. I'm not struggling against the tide, which somebody might, some people might interpret as settling or giving up. (laughs) But um, I want to get through this experience authentically and with as much confidence as I can have. And in my experience, when you fight a real feeling and you try to make it something it's not, it doesn't doesn't usually turn out great. So um, I guess I'm just like meeting myself where I am better and being where my feet are better and having a lot of faith that things will turn around, that this is just a short time of life and it will get better and whatever. But I, you know, I can't take that to the next level that I hear people say, which is like, it's only a short time of life. So, so enjoy it. Like I would love to, I'm just, most of the time don't, (laughs) um, people, I find that kind of advice, not that helpful. Yeah. I honestly feel like that makes me like feel double shamey. Like yeah. not only am I having a hard time, <laughs> but then I'm giving myself a hard time about the fact that I'm not soaking up this like amazing, right. And then you just like feel like, just yeah. let yourself feel how you feel. I find it more helpful to think about, okay, just remember that this isn't the only thing happening to you right now. Right. So let this be what it is, but don't stop noticing other things in your life that are great or being grateful for the people that are showing up for you or whatever. Like, I don't want this to completely consume me if possible, but I, but I do want what it is to be authentic. Like Mm -hmm. my feelings about my body or my feelings about, um, definitely not wanting to do it a third time. (laughs) Are you sure on that? Oh yeah, I am sure. I would have, I I don't think I would have wanted more than two kids anyway, but if I had had a blissful pregnancy experience um, where my life felt very, very impacted, very little, uh, I would maybe have been able to get talked into it, you know, but like now that I know that this is in the range of experiences, I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) This is good. Um, And so uh, even though I have four weeks left, people are like, and if I say, oh, I can't wait to get her out, they're like, oh, you know, this is the thing everyone says, oh, but once she's out, 
there's no putting her back and you're, you're like i know sleep and i'm like yeah i don't care you're like i want to be able to lay in more than one position get out yeah <laughs> exactly how are you and jesse talking to jude about the new baby because obviously you said like yeah. his desire for i want a little sister like that was part of the decision but like there's like the fantasy of that like yay little sister poke poke right uh-huh. like but versus I'm, i mean obviously he's still really young so what does that sort of like family conversation look like it's always evolving honestly because he jude seems to react to this baby differently every day sometimes he can't stop lifting my shirt up and talking to her and touching her and you know singing to her and he's really into it and other times like a a package just showed up at the house of this little fleece this little fleece outfit so that we can take the new baby out in the winter and it's you know full head to toe adorable puff ball type of thing and oh it has God, these little wait. bear ears on it and i took it out of the bag and i was like oh look at this little thing for baby sister and he got so jealous he really wanted one and jesse looks at me he goes it begins <laughs> <laughs> and so i don't know i think we're going to be continually surprised by what parts of it are positive for jude and what parts of it are our, our struggles and just kind of working with it. Have you set any sort of expectations for him? Like what to expect when the baby comes? Yeah, definitely. One of, I've got some pretty good advice from friends. You know, a lot of my friends have two already, but um, one of the big things that they said was make sure that your kid doesn't have this false idea that the baby's going to come out and be a playmate right away because it takes so long for them to be interesting (laughs) (laughs) and that time stretches on so long for little kids that they, you can't say things like, Oh, you're going to have a playmate in just a few months because to them, that's like a couple days and they think it's going to be in a couple days. And so we've really set him up for, we're going to have a meatloaf that does nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a meatloaf. Oh my gosh. And, um, you know, at first all she's going to be able to do is grab your finger and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and like kind of talking to him about being, um, helping with her and he's into it. It might just be his personality, but I don't know. I don't know what other kids are like, but he's a nurturing person. If I'm not feeling well, he picks up on my energy. He talks to me about it. He's always checking on me. He's not like a super self-absorbed kid um he tends like on the other extreme actually he's very emotional and gets emotional about other people's emotions and stuff so i feel like he'll be more of a naturally nurturing type Mm -hmm. um so we appeal to his nature in that way and talking to him about nurturing his little sister and he's into it he's like i'm gonna change her diaper i'm gonna do this and now we'll see what the reality is when he's like oh that's disgusting (laughs) Yeah. yeah and clearly i think he'll be jealous like every other kid when people come over to the house to see see her and and forget that he exists completely and what you know what does that feel like and um but overall i think it'll be good for him mm-hmm. yeah i mean having to cope with jealousy and stuff is not a bad thing yeah right? having yeah. It, yeah no i love that so this is totally going to be a loaded question and i know there's no way you can completely answer it <laughs> but to, like with this idea of you know being more open and honest about pregnancy i feel like I want the same to be true for just parenting in general. And Mm -hmm. obviously like parenting is a huge topic and people have very polarized opinions about what it means to be a good parent, right? Something that one parent would say you have to do. Another parent would say, I would, you know, you should never do that type of stuff. So not talking in generalizations, but like, I guess, I mean, I guess my question is like, how do you think about being a good parent for yourself? But maybe more specifically, like, is there anything, and I'm sure there is that you're intentionally 
like striving to do to like raise these young people? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. Well, for me, raising a feminist son is super important. So, um, I think it was Gloria Steinem, maybe someone will know if it was or not, but that said something along the lines of, um, it's great that we now have the courage to raise our daughters the way we raise our sons, but can we have the courage to raise our sons the way we raise our daughters and Mm. raising them with empathy and kindness and, you know, all those, all those things that I feel like women are disproportionately good at and what politics is really lacking is, that we have this whole 50% of the population that has been socialized with certain skills that aren't being brought to the table in major decisions of international diplomacy and national policy and whatever else. And so while I see that currently as being pretty gendered, um, when I think about the future, I don't see a reason why we can't socialize our boys to have those qualities and why we can't social, just like we're trying to socialize our girls to be, um, I'm not bossy, I'm just assertive, you know, those kinds of things. And a lot of my friends who have daughters, I've watched them work really hard to make sure that their daughters don't feel like they have to please everybody. Um, Interesting. Don't feel like they need to be liked, that being liked isn't the most important thing. You know, like they're really pushing what people might call like masculine, traditionally masculine traits and making them available for their daughters to to take and incorporate. And so, uh, but I don't, I actually, most of my friends that I, that I'm close with don't have sons, um, as their firstborns actually. So I, I sort of was in a little bit of just figuring it out, but for whatever reason, that was really important to me. I have a, what I consider a pretty evolved husband in that he's above average in emotional intelligence and, um, he doesn't exhibit hypermasculine behaviors and, I feel, you know, I feel empowered and I feel like I can be myself and all those things. Um, he's like a glowing example to me of our generation, but there's still room between where he is and what I think is possible for Jude and the next generation too. So yeah, I think about that and, um, it's, we'll see what happens. Like I'm having a girl next and I don't know, I I want, I still feel that kindness and empathy are extremely important. So a part of me worries that in an attempt to instill our daughters, the next generation of girls with like confidence and assertiveness is that we, is we have to make sure we, at least that we, that we keep kindness and Mm -hmm. empathy in there, that those aren't weaknesses just because they haven't been associated with power traditionally um, doesn't mean that they aren't critically important. So I at this point can't imagine raising my daughter differently than I've raised Jude. Uh, we'll see. You know, I'll we'll have to mm-hmm. check back in. But as of now, I would do I would do everything the same. I'm I feel like I'm raising Jude to just try to be a good human being. But I don't know. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The idea of consciously, especially with girls, raising them like without a focus on being like trying to be liked and trying to please everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, I don't even know how you go about that and like what the actual like day to day looks like for that. Yeah. But I think that's vitally important. Yeah. I think so too. What I'm mostly worried about with having a daughter is just how other people treat her Yep, because almost nobody comments on what my son wears. He's dressed. He looks good. I make sure he doesn't look like a total slob all the time. 
sometimes he does. <laughs> He's got a real sweet haircut. <laughs> yeah. But like the number of comments about his appearance to him are so minimal. He gets to just walk through the world being judged on who he is and how he treats people for the most part. And I see it all the time with my friend's daughters that even if they're not commenting on their daughter's appearance, other people are constantly commenting yeah. on it. So I I don't know what to do about that. It's like, it's not like I can dress my child in a paper sack and I guess I could and intentionally make her look horrendous so that no one makes any comments about her appearance. But <laughs> Right. But that's not necessarily the answer. either. I mean, no. But I think all of this comes down to sort of exactly what we're doing right here is like conversations. Like you're going to have, I mean, like we're going to have to talk to our young people about this kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah. oh, isn't it interesting that like yeah. you're being, ju- you know, I mean, obviously not when like they're two, but that there is, I think some kind of like responsibility there obviously yeah. which like you're speaking to which yeah i try to never say anything like that to little girls and it's i don't i don't know if i'm doing the right thing because some sometimes like I me mean, it's very clear um if my niece is dressed up in a princess dress and she's playing dress up and she i mean she is an assertive strong girl you know and she likes to dress up in princess dresses and loves it. Who doesn't when people say you look beautiful in your princess dress, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone loves the way that feels. Doesn't mean it's helpful. Um, but I clearly see she's dressed up to be noticed. And I, if I don't say anything, I feel weird. Yeah. Right. But I generally just don't. I'm just like, how are you doing? Oh, that looks fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, she twirls around. That looks really fun. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's I like know. Dancing. I think, I mean, to your question before, or what you said, like, I don't know if this is the right thing. I mean, I don't know that there is a right thing, like, yeah. you know, that type. But what you're saying is such a good reminder for me, even like we're conditioned into commenting on little girls appearances in a way that's like so subconscious at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like if I was in that situation, I probably would comment on just not yeah. even thinking about it. So 100%. like even like taking on the responsibility of like, hold on, like, how am I gonna, I have a choice of what words to use and yeah. words are really powerful. And can I make a different choice? Yeah. yeah. I love and oftentimes that. with little kids, all you get is 20 words and they've moved on. Right. So which right. 20 words are you going to use? Like, yeah. that's what I try to tell yeah. myself with my niece is like, she's not going to talk to me for very long right now. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Talk about the dress? I can. Maybe she'd like that more. <laughs> but over time. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So, I don't know. How do you and Jesse think about, because um, obviously like Jude's on your social media a lot. Mm-hmm. What, what's the conversation around that? Like, I, I don't know how I would handle that. And again, you hear people that are like, you know, I would never put my kid on social media or my entire social media is my kid. So again, let's just talk about all the polarizing things (laughs) is what I'm saying. But again, because there's no right answer, I'm just interested in like how people work this out for themselves or within their family. Like, is there an ongoing conversation of how is he going to feel about this when he's older or like, what are we comfortable with and not like, do you guys have hard lines around it? I would say we are always kind of figuring it out and re-engaging in conversations about it. When he was, he had an Instagram and a Twitter before he was born. We, we called him the Lima bean because one of those pregnancy apps told us he was the size of a Lima bean and then it just stuck. So we called him Lima bean baby. So his Instagram and Twitter were, were that. But if you look at those accounts, we very abruptly stopped using them at a certain point. And it wasn't long after he was born. It felt weird. The reality of having a child felt 
so much different from like the hypothetical future child where it was almost like just another thing you would Instagram about. Like, he's a person, you know, and he doesn't have any agency in how he's being presented or any choice in this matter. So I totally understand when people are like, I want my kids to be able to dictate their own future with how they appear online. Um, But I also, so I I understand that that's not the choice Jesse and I have made. We've kind of just been like, well, we want the freedom to to like share our lives the way we would share our lives if we weren't professional athletes, if we didn't have a, any sort of public, I don't know, recognition of any kind. Like we're like, we're not famous, but we're like micro famous in our small communities. So leaving our child completely out of it doesn't feel good either. Cause he's part of our life. Um, so I just try to, I don't know. I just try to think about if some, it, it, what feels good. Like if it's just like normal life things, why not? I have a few uh, people I follow that are legit famous that feel like do a good job. Like Christy Turlington Burns, her kids don't show up all the time in her social media, but they're in there occasionally. You know, like she has children. That's part of her story, but right. it's not her entire story. She's not like financially capitalizing on it all the time or something, but um. So I don't know, but I I definitely have noticed that the older Jude gets, the less I want to have him on there or like, I don't, I want to make sure that I'm, I don't know, like respecting his personhood. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a new world with the way we share. I I mean, and the kids like just add a whole other element to that. Like, I think there's, I'm always in an ongoing conversation with myself about what I want to share, what I don't want to share, like hat. And again, there's no right answer. Yeah. I think about this for you guys. I don't know how to say this without sounding really weird. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's like a good opener. I am so interested in the fact that like your, both so visible mm-hmm. online, right? And that's obviously like part of your careers and part of your story or whatever. And like, I definitely think that there's an outside perspective of like, look at this perfect couple. Mm-hmm. Like not to like put that on you. Of course, no one's perfect, but yeah. like, I'm definitely not the only one that could like look at that and be like, oh, like ha- I don't even, again, I don't even know what my question is, but like, it's so, does that like change your relationship to have so much of it so public or to know that there are people that are like what you said, what are people going to think about the Kona baby birth decision, right? That like people are so invested in like your most personal relationships. Like what is that like to be like Lauren and Jesse and Jude, you know? And like, does that, do you get what I'm asking? Yeah, no, totally. I do. And with the, the, what are we going to do about the birth coinciding with Kona thing is a really great example and way to look at this because not a lot of couples like probably would have to have that conversation to the extent to which Jesse and I had to because well everyone is going to have people in their life that judge them regardless of whether they're public figure or not their coworkers their friends their family is going to have an opinion especially when it comes to kids people have no shortage of opinions but then this element of having strangers have opinions and strangers who might not necessarily think of you as a person and just like make a trolling comment or something right. um that's the added thing that that gets thrown in with us. And so when we talk about it, we do, we're like, what are, what would people say just to prepare ourselves? We always look it up through our own lens though. So for Jesse, I was like, look, here's the thing. If you're going to do Kona and we decide on doing that, we need to talk about all these reactions that might happen from people and expectations people might have, because in otherwise you're going to get blindsided by them and then it will affect your performance. So if you're going to go there, 
and you want to do well, then we need to f- let's let's play some theater here and figure out the answers to these questions in advance. Let's prepare, and then then you'll be ready. It's Nothing. like media prep. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's totally. That's yeah. what it's like. And and there's not many things in our life that we have to go through that with. Most of life is just life. It's just little moments of things that are happening. And we are happy. So, I mean, we haven't always, every moment, been happy. But like when we are happy, sharing little moments of our life where we look happy feels good to me because it's real. Um, but... I don't know. And I don't, I mean, I certainly don't ask that question because I think you're putting on some kind of like pretense like that. Like you both seem very real. I just, it's, it's less about like from an outside perspective as like, I'm trying to put myself in your position of like, how would that feel to have people like invested in like our likability as a couple or like the fact that we also own this business together and like the more likable we are as a couple, maybe the better the business does. And maybe that's all. I have no idea. It's just, that seems like I have like a teeny, teeny, like experience of that with like having the podcast and doing but and like yeah. Paul's online but not really like people aren't I mean I guess I, I don't know what people think or what they don't think it's just <laughs> like it, it's just an interesting thing to like it's it's already hard enough to check in with yourself about like what's authentic for me like what do I want to do and then also to have like I know that the more people that I mean this is like the most honest thing I can say like that like me yeah are probably going to listen to the show yeah. are more likely to support the show. Like that's my like livelihood, right? That there is. So how do you, I yeah, no, know. I it's totally like know what you're saying because subject. I remember Jesse and I had a lot of these conversations when we were first, like in the first two years of getting on social media, because we had, we founded picky bars in 2010. So that was like beginning of kind of Twitter, you know, I don't even think Instagram was there yet, but it was close to being there. Facebook was a thing, obviously. Um, and early on, it was a, it was obviously a clear strategy to say, well, we have audiences, we have people that follow us and like following us. And unless you have a ton of advertising budget, or you could, you know, how else are you going to get people to know about your business? So it was, it was very clear. It was like, when we tell our story, more people know about us. If they, if they are naturally attracted to our story, they might be naturally attracted to our business. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think it was a conversation Jesse had with this coach, Matt Dixon, this one time when he was just starting to write for Triathlete Magazine and just starting to have a, a little bit of experimentation with like his personality online. And I think his coach, I might be misquoting this, but it was something along the lines of like, be careful that you don't turn into a dancing monkey, right? If you're just like following the applause, basically, you're yeah. going to end up not being yourself, which will actually make you less likable because people aren't stupid and they can tell. But that's one of the things that I think would make the relationship with social media negative is if you are following the applause, then who you really are becomes very different from who you're presenting. And then that makes it exhausting and draining and all that stuff. So what helps me with the whole like balancing business and social media is that, yeah, of course there's a connection. Like you said, if people are invested in you and they care about you and your story because they like you in some way, then they're going to care about the projects that you care about and they have to go together. But uh, I don't know. I just, I don't have financial goals for picky bars. (laughs) That's how I cope with it. I don't engage with the numbers. I don't, I don't actually, um, I don't, I don't want things to start from there. Like I need X dollars. 
So I need people to like me. Why amount so that I can? It's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah it's and but I also think very common. I think I mean, so maybe too. I would even say less so with something like picky bars. That's like a tangible product that you can like buy and hold in your hand and consume. Because like maybe the fact that they follow you and like you is enough to get them to try it. Yeah, but they but won't if buy the pro- it again. Like, the, the reason that I, I mean, at the time of this recording, I'm leaving for my hike in like two days. Like whatever a week and a half ago, when I walked into the office and was like, okay, I need to buy 90 bars because I know this is like the only thing I'm not going to get sick of on this hike. Like that's not because I like you. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. did I try picky bars the first time? Like, because I knew who you were through Wazelle? Yes. Yeah. But like, that's not enough. So totally. I think it gets harder when what you do is like maybe less concrete or there's less like, oh, I either like, you know, the headbands that this person is making or they fit me well or they don't. Right. <laughs> that like, but there is this, this bit back to what you were saying about like raising girls that don't care so much about being liked yeah or well, like- we're in a good time and the authenticity is growing in popularity and so god i hope that trend continues yeah because me too. It, if it feels the best to be yourself and if people appreciate realness even when it's different from them i think that's the key i think there are we're still at a point where and maybe it'll always be this way we like real as long as it still kind of fits into our comfort box of behaviors like as long as you're, you can be like a little bit different sexually, but as long as you're not sexually deviant or you be a little bit, I don't know, your opinions can vary slightly, but you know, whatever. Um, I am, I think the the writer in me and the person that has done a lot of reading of real, authentic, truthful words, um, I am fascinated with just truth in general. So mm-hmm. even if someone is, as long as they're not like, hurting other people. <laughs> I can think there are there are certain things that would turn me off, but I am very turned on by honesty and truth, even if a person is dramatically different from me in a way that I was incapable of, of being when I was 25. Mm-hmm. And so maybe part of it's me aging. Maybe part of it is just the influence of um, people's work on me that I've read in those years, or I don't know what the factors are. But because I feel that way about other people's realness, I feel very empowered to be real and to kind of be like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm just going to be me. And if people, if it ends up benefiting my business, cool. If it doesn't, cool. Like I'm not going to change who I am. So yeah. I think there's something that that you're touching on that I think about a lot or have started to think about a lot more lately of like the difference between telling the truth about your life and telling the truth about your life as long as it'll be well received or like mm-hmm. telling the truth about your life, like with an agenda, which yeah. like there's a lot of that too, where it's mm-hmm. like, look at me, how honest I'm being, yeah. you know, like, but you can feel like when someone just says what's true, like whether it's you're reading a memoir or an Instagram caption or like in a conversation, there's something that feels like I've started to check in with my body, which is I'm much more of like a mental person than a physical person, but you can feel it in your body when someone says something that's true. Even if that thing might not be something you can relate to, yeah. or it might not be your experience, yeah. or you might not even agree with it. It might make you uncomfortable. There's like something very liberating about the truth without an agenda. Oh man. That and is so true. Like if I think about anything in terms of like what I want to do with my work in the next year or whatever, like it's tapping into that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple more things I want to ask you about outside of the, obviously the pregnancy, you know, child, parenthood, motherhood space is like very big for you right now. But what is something else that feels important? Like whether that's something you feel excited about or something you're working on or something that you would love to write next year or just like, is there anything else that you're like, Ooh, this yeah, thing. no, there's like, there's a lot. I mean, there's a million things, of course I know there are, but, um, I, 
well, I really want to write a book. What that book is, I don't know. But I want to experience writing a book, the enormity of it, the overwhelmingness of it, the organization required to do it. And I th- I know deep down that a part of it is as a replacement for having an elite athletic career where I used to wake up every morning with um, a clear connection to a bigger goal. Each day was a part of the process of getting there. What I've had this year has been a lot of little projects for the most part, like a, an essay here, you know, more freelancy type things, which is cool too. I've enjoyed that as as a change and I could see enjoying that again, but I'm ready to have something bigger that I wake up in the morning and I'm working on, working towards daily. Um, Are you thinking fiction, non like memoir? I, I know you said yeah. you have no idea, but like, is there some inkling I would of- say probably not fiction. Okay. First off, I do want to- eventually play with fiction. But I think tackling fiction and tackling a book for the first time would be a little bit more than I could handle. Um, The familiarity of personal essay, like finding a way to turn that into a book. So probably memoir or um, some sort of I don't want to call it self-help. It's not that in the sports world, like a book specific about something sports related. It would be a mixture of storytelling and a tool that people could use. Um, I will be first in line for that. Please write that book. Sweet. Okay. Well, I want to do more writing next year too. So if we want to do any kind of like writing I, accountability, I, I like need show up at this coffee shop at this yeah. time. Like I, I've really, the mo- most honest thing I can say about like my own creative work is I have reached the limit of being able to like do stuff in isolation in this room that we're currently in. Yeah. That it's, and maybe that's a weakness. Maybe I need like more willpower or whatever, but I've been going to the coffee shop more and more and like having writing dates, you know, with our friend, Sarah, other, like yeah. someone else needs to show up and sit across from me. I am highly <laughs> interested in a yeah. writing group. It, it really, really helps. And yeah. just, and it doesn't even have, like just having someone else that's there, like Sarah and I do this sometimes, you know, we'll go to Jackson's Corner, we'll go to Pellet and like talk for like 15 minutes and then spend like an hour each writing. It's not even like we're reading each other's stuff. Not that I'm opposed yeah. to that, but like, I'm not going to dick around on the internet if there's someone else here who's also doing their work. hundred <laughs> like, percent. Oh man. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that's huge. Um, Another thing that I'm looking forward to, and this sounds like such a humble goal, but I have really not enjoyed the last six months or so where I have like the um, amount of potential energy I have to build up to to like do something uh, is is I'm having trouble building up enough potential energy to do the thing. So, for example, what do you mean? Yeah, painting the nursery, right? Which we had, we only have a two bedroom house. So we had to build this little nook off the living room to have a place for this um, new life to live until she's old enough to (laughs) share with her brother. (laughs) Yeah. So to, to avoid having the crib just like in the living room or in our actual bedroom, which I just am not a fan of personally. Uh, So we did this and then I don't know, I just like, I've paint, I painted with my friend, my best friend, Melinda in college, we painted her entire two bedroom condo, every single wall of every single room. I've painted rooms in my mom's house. Like I know how to paint. It's not complicated. You can just go do it, but I couldn't get myself to do it. And so it just kept not getting painted. And then I was trying to find a painter and trying to find somebody to do it for me because I was tired. And that's kind of the theme of everything the last six months is I'm so tired that the amount of energy it takes for me to go from thinking about something to doing it is is like a ton. Like I have trouble summoning enough strength. And so I, but then in the last couple of weeks, like 
it's it's really hard to get a contractor or a painter or anyone in this town right now because we're in a time of economic plenty or something. Everyone's doing house projects, so like no one's available. And so it basically got to the point where like you're not going to be able to paint the walls or you're gonna have to do it yourself. And so I just fucking did it and I went to the store and I just got the stuff and I did it and it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm like, why did I you're li- you literally just told so the story long. of my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I'm li- this is something that I talk about with my therapist. That like, why is it such a big deal for me to do the things? I make things such a big deal on my head that when I actually do, it takes like 15 minutes. Exactly. I, I would love if I could have a superpower, and maybe this is just like something to work on. I would love the ability to shorten the time between thinking about the thing and then actually doing the thing. Well, and what I learned too is that when I was really, really busy. When I had so much on my plate, when I was coaching and an athlete and with picky bars and trying to write and manage the social media kind of side of things, I got so much done. The space between thinking about and doing it was like nil. And I miss that version of myself because it instills confidence and aptitude and then it feeds on itself and then you really do walk around feeling like you can do whatever you want. So the difference between that person who I've known for many, many years and who I feel like I am right now, I just do not like this version of myself very much. I want to get some physical energy back (laughs) so that I can. um, And also part of it is just like putting more things on my calendar. I've tried to be really good to myself and nurturing to myself and honoring where my body's at because I'm pregnant. And I don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose that completely. Like you can't lose touch with how you actually feel completely, but there is a certain amount of like, let's just load the schedule and be uncomfortable for a while and see if that changes things. Like maybe it'll actually energize me and make it better. Yeah. I mean, I can't relate to this anymore. Like it's, I, I am in the process right now of letting go of this identity that I have been really attached to of like, I need all this free time. And like, I work better when I like do a lot of work and then have a lot of time off. And like, I had like this whole story, even like the way that I structured the podcast, like structured my, like just everything was based on like, I want so much space, like so much breathing room. I don't know if it was like some weird, like hippie creative ideal that like I've been sold. (laughs) I don't know. But I, again, in therapy, I've been like tracking my depression like over the last couple of years and like the times that sometimes it is just random or you know jet lag induced or something that is circumstantial but it's almost always when I don't have anything going on interesting and I don't think that I'm alone in that and so like one of the things that Jessica my therapist has pointed out is like that the combination of like mastery and pleasure like mastery and enjoyment like that that can stave off like a lot of this type of stuff and I've seen it's been so I mean again at the time of this recording like I'm leaving in two days for this hike and like having the things that have had to get done in the last three weeks, I'm more busy in the last three weeks than I have been. I mean, not ever, but like sort of ever. It's like the amount of just like (laughs) logistical planning for the hike, like the amount of things to be able to be offline for six weeks, like wanting to see friends, like do, and it has just been like nonstop. And yet I'm so happy. And yet here you are planning a last minute podcast with me We literally planned this last (laughs) night and you were like, I'm sure you have things to do. And I'm I'm in that mode of like, let's just do it. And again, there's always a tipping point of like, I'm still done by like 6 p.m. I'm having dinner with my husband. Like, you know, we're watching some random show on Netflix. Or doing like So it's not like burning the candle every single hour. Like that doesn't work for me. Yeah. But it has been such an unbelievable reminder of exactly that what you just said is true. Yeah. That I need to be busier. So I want that. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me back up for that. Yeah. yeah. So well, when I get back in November, <laughs> when you talk about goals, yeah. oh, a book God. is part of it. But I know myself well enough to know now that creating all the space in the world for that book isn't going to be the nope. best way to get that book done. Mm-mm. So I'm going to have to have time 
dedicated to the book and then other things on my plate that create a little bit of urgency and energy and momentum and and whatever. So it's like um, the best lesson I've learned yeah. this year. And I mean, I need to keep learning it over and over. But yeah, the energy and momentum is real. Having this having two kids while doing that. I've never done that before. So we'll see how that goes. But I do have a kid in preschool. So we'll see, you know, I'm anyway, I feel like I'm a little bit like waiting for life to happen. Because once you have the kid and you don't have to take maternity leave, but I, I also want to spend some concentrated bonding time. Um, before I head back to work, I don't want to just like, pump her out and just it's tempting to kind of do that because I don't know this little being yet. I have no loyalty to her yet. <laughs> In fact, most of the time when I think about her, it's mostly defensive about my son. Like, how is this going to affect my son? Because <laughs> my loyalty is clearly in the currently walking and talking child who is in my sphere all the time. But um, but I also know that he was an abstract Instagram account before he was a person. And right. this child will also become a person who I'll be fiercely loyal to. So um, we'll see. So I have these goals, but I'm also trying to keep a little bit of flexibility and when I need to start them and, and all that. But I, I do want to reclaim a little bit of my own ambition. And my God, I just, it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great example to set for your kids too. So. <sighs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. So as you know, we end these with some rapid fire questions, okay. but before we get into that, I can't let you go without asking you something running related. Right? Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's timely. I mean, obviously this will come out when I'm on my hike, it'll be closer towards the end of the year, but I think it's like a time when folks are setting maybe running goals for 2018 or perhaps like thinking about getting started with running for the first time, like for better or worse, it does tend to be like a new year's resolution thing, yeah. which sometimes sticks and sometimes doesn't. So I guess I'd love to hear any like advice or encouragement like what was helpful for you to hear at the beginning of like a new training block or like a new season? Well, I mean, it sounds like a total business pitch, but get the Believe Training Journal. I mean, definitely. Also, <laughs> I will second that. Get the Believe because Training Journal. <laughs> that is why we created it was to create a physical thing that helps guide you through the process of getting yourself amped about what you want to do, but not, but so that the energy won't just like fizzle out really quickly so that you can turn those dreams into action plans and, um, and, you know, go from there and then have that continuity throughout the year. So I would definitely get one of those. Um, and I don't know, I guess just like, um, one thing that's been on my heart a lot because of where I'm at in my own life is, as you're thinking about your goals for your running, the I think the best way to make sure that they stick is to make sure that they are authentic to your current experience and that they aren't some sort of phantom ghost attachment to a previous you or an unfulfilled destiny or an unmet goal from the past that you just feel like you can't move on to a new goal until you've accomplished that one thing because we have this never give up you know, cultural obsession with sports. And um, – I really encourage people to give themselves permission to evolve in their athletics and in their goals. And for for you, that might be less racing. That might be no racing. That might be a totally different distance. That might be uh, finally allowing yourself to get slower. Like I, I see a lot of master's athletes struggle with that feeling that I'm, I must be settling. Once I decide that my fastest days are behind me, then I am giving up somehow or somehow I'm a fool if I'm slow, if I'm never going to be faster than I was, but yet I still care about racing and trying hard. Like I hear that a lot. That surprises me because I'm not at that spot yet, but I can see where it comes from. This like, 
I don't want to be one of those people that's out there doing these hard workouts when, you know, I'm like 45 and like, I'm not going to get any <laughs> but faster. Why not? I'm like, why not? Like, what's wrong with that? You know, if you, if you want to, if you enjoy working out hard and you enjoy racing, well, and there's always, I think, a benefit to getting the best out of yourself, even if that yeah. is like, you know, objectively not the same as what the best was five years ago, 10 years ago, five years from now, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that's been the worst timing of this pregnancy for me is that I, in retiring from elite athletics, one of the things that gave me the courage to retire was that I had found a way to get excited about the next step, which was what will it be like to run and train and sign up for a race when I know for sure I'll be slower? It won't have any financial benefit. There won't be any illusion that it's related to a job. It'll purely be something I've chosen for myself because I like it. What will that feel like? Will I be able to do it? Will it feel good? I suspect it will. But when I got pregnant and wasn't able to run at all, it's like I have kind of had to hit this giant pause button on solving that mystery and figuring it out. And I'm just genuinely so curious and excited to to go there. So um, I'm in, because I'm in that state of like, I am heavily giving myself permission to evolve my relationship with running. So I'm all about preaching that to other people. Yeah, no, I'm into it. I think that's amazing. I love it. Um, okay. Couple rapid, rapid fire, fire questions okay, and then we me. are out. Um, when you think about strong women, like particularly people who maybe you see as a mentor or a teacher who comes to mind, Sarah Lesko and Sally Bergeson of Wazel, my friends. Yeah. I will put links to them in the show notes for sure. Um, what's one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you? Um, I don't know how little I wear makeup. <laughs> I'm trying to be rapid fire. No, I, yeah, no, I love that. That's great. Um, what is your go-to order at the coffee shop? A latte, 12 ounce latte. Okay. And sometimes a pastry. Any particular pastries that you love? I really like savory scones, but they don't always have the ones that I like. The savory bacon and scones. cheese ones from Bad Wolf. Mm, mm. So good. There you go. Look at us, all the shout outs to local businesses here in Bend. It's so good. Um, I guess we sort of talked about this, um, you know, with the book, but something that you'd love to make or do by this time next year. Yeah, I'd like to have significant progress done on my book. Be okay. in the editing phase. There you go. So in next year, you're gonna have we're gonna have to come have this conversation again and you okay. will tell us how far you are. <laughs> so funny. Awesome. Um the book you've been recommending most often lately, what has gotten under your skin this year? Oh my God, there's been way too many. Uh, A Little Life, I recommend with about 75 asterisks because it's so heart-wrenchingly horrible and amazing. (laughs) Um, But I'd say probably a little bit more than that. Um, All the Light We Cannot See. I loved that. Yeah, because it left me feeling better about the world and it was also extremely powerful. If you could leave the community, um, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I would challenge listeners to um, go into their social environments with their friends a little more raw and just see what happens. Preach. I love that. Um, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have like a favorite way to connect with new people or where should I'd people say go? These days, the old Twitter and uh, Instagram are probably the best. And, and then my writing, I'm mostly doing writing for Strava right now. So if you want to read 
writing. I'll, of course, post them on Twitter and Instagram when I write pieces, but you can kind of see what's going on there. I loved the piece about um, like first time marathon fears about uh-huh. how afraid you were to poop yourself. <laughs> so I could let, hang on, let me make a note. I will put the link to the poop article <laughs> in the show notes. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Good luck on the hike. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And huge shout out to the awesome Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like you. If you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus a lot of fun other opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 